Hello and welcome. This is Working Class to World Class. But before we go any further, I do have a little favour of you. If you could hit that follow or subscribe button, then that would be a massive help. Thank you. In this episode, I am catching up with an absolute gem of the advertising world. Now, not only has she held high profile creative roles, but she was the first ever creative woman to run a marketing agency from a business point of view. She speaks at events, she judges awards, and she's worked with some of the biggest and best brands in the world. Honestly, she is amazing. She still remains very, very humble, and you're gonna love her just as much as I do. Breaking through the barriers of adversity. I'm Lynn Lester, and this is Working Class to World Class. So Nikki, this is so cool to catch up. I've not seen you for, for quite a long time. So hello virtually. Hello. God, it's been ages and ages. We used to see each other a lot back in the day. Back yeah. in the day. I know we'll make up for it this year though. Absolutely. Definitely. So for everyone tuning in, can you just sort of give a rough outline of, I mean, it's going to be difficult because you are amazing, but if you can try and give an outline of who you are and what you do. Oh my goodness. Uh, do I know who I am? Uh, <laughs> not. Uh, I am Nikki Bullard. I'm a Chief Creative Officer of Mullenlow Group, which is part of IPG. And uh, I'm Group Chief Creative Officer. I look at, I oversee all different disciplines and every single bit of creative work that goes um, out of the business. So I've been there relatively new. So I've been there about seven months, uh, which is really exciting. And as, as, as I was just saying, I feel like... Um, I started yesterday, but I also feel like I've been there five years in a really positive way. Um, so that's super exciting. And then before that, I spent six years at MRM. And there I was chairwoman and chief creative officer. So it was quite a different role, actually. And not just for me, but actually in the industry. Um, so uh, no other creative woman had had run a marketing agency from a business point of view at that point in time. And um, I, I sort of said, well, you know, I, I really want to properly run the business if I'm going to be chairperson. So went in, um, did that, learned so much. I mean, I knew a bit about the business, obviously, before I, I got the job, but um, I learned so much about running a business, working in a, you know, in a big global organisation. And then um, about two years ago, um, in that role was made chairwoman of Europe, which sounds very grand and, was, and made me giggle a bit. Uh, when I saw it in writing for the first time on my um, signature, we'll come on to that later. But um, yeah, that was great and uh, helping to bring together the offices, um, as well as you know, obviously being ultimately responsible for creative works. So that was much more of a my role now is much more much broader. So everything from TV ads through to um, uh, social posts, whereas my last job was much more digital um, focused. And then I've done various jobs like integrated direct marketing. So I've done pretty much everything in the creative sphere but I've been knocking around for a long time so it's probably not that surprising I was gonna say that's because you're a legend though so don't 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 knock yourself down <laughs> so see for people because there's lots of people that listen to this podcast that are a in the industry so, so people know you already and they'll be like oh my god it's amazing but there'll be lots of people that have no clue so my family watch it so I'll say hello to my sisters who, who tune in every now and then good exactly call out that we'll, we'll do shout outs for people but here's the thing so for people like that that are tuning in so you talk about you're doing creative agent you know creative campaigns for different brands so, so can you just rhyme off a couple of the companies you've worked for so people can get a sense of the range 
Oh gosh, there's been quite a lot. So uh, over the years I've worked for Boots. So if you've got a Boots Advantage card, so back in the day, all direct marketing. And that, what that means is everything you get via email or the post. So it's, it's often since the least glamorous part of the business, but actually it's super interesting because you get to know through data in a positive way, get to know customers. So if you've got an advantage card, you know how brilliant that is. So I worked across that for a long time and wrote what's called the tone of voice um, for boots in that area, which was like a really wonderful thing to do. And it's actually my signature on the letters. If you ever get um, a letter or an email, uh, if it's still there, I don't know if it's still there, they might have rubbed it out and changed it. It's my signature. Um, and then, oh gosh, just uh, mini um, Land Rover, um, did a lot of digital work for them. Um, what else have I done? We've just worked on where I'm now, um, NHS latest recruitment, nurses recruitment campaign, which was incredible to work on. Uh, Boopa, Rennie, we've just done a big job for Rennie. Um, everything and anything, probably across most brands or and disciplines and um, yeah, industry sectors. Um, so probably most, you've probably seen something I've done somewhere along the way. Uh, whether it's any good or not, that's for you to decide. But <laughs> absolutely. Well, do you know the thing is, it's cool because so when we met a way back, I don't know how many years it's been because I was trying to work it out. Can you remember? Now, where was I working? I was probably at MC Saatchi at the time. I think you so were. And we're going back 15 years, maybe longer. At least, yeah. Because yeah, I remember, I remember yeah. the first time I met you. So I was running a, a judging for, for a big awards show. And you were you were one of the judges, and that's where where I came across you. And I just knew about this woman who was amazing, and she'd done all this work. And so you know, the minute you walk in, you do have that presence, and and not an arrogant presence. It's, it's a presence you know, you've arrived and you're there. But you're you've never been arrogant. You've always been really lovely, and that's what I really liked about you. And then it was funny to then later find out you actually came from really humble background, like a real humble star. Yeah, and I think it's um. It's interesting because I have uh, uh, listened and watched some of your podcasts. I was, I was watching Dave Chotts and it, I find that fascinating and all of them actually. But yeah, my background. So I probably, it's in, everybody's talked about their parents quite a lot. And I think that's so important, that real working class background. So my dad, my father grew up in rural Essex um, on a farm. My mother grew up in Ireland and, and came from a very, very, um, I hate using the word poor because it feels really, really negative. But um, yeah, a really challenging um, background. Like, really, like lots of brothers and sisters, no money at all, barely any food on the table. Um, and my dad, my father left home at 16 and decided to join the police force, which I think was a great thing to do. So coming from a really rural place and suddenly was in Hendon and ended up in Chelsea not long later when he, when he passed his exams and stuff. My mother, when she was 15 got on, a, her sister was meant to come to Ireland, uh, to England from Ireland uh, to work in a hotel. She bottled it. So there was a ticket and they had to, someone had to take ticket. And she was the younger sister. So she was 15, came on her own to London, um, was met um, at, uh, off the boat and um, taken to London by a distant cousin, you know, just people she didn't know um, and ended up working in a hotel on reception and um, sending most of her wages back home to support the rest of the family. So she was really never, never had, you know, it was a lot to her, the money that she earned, but she'd never had much. And that's been really interesting because I've watched both my parents um, have worked, they're grafters. So they've worked really, really hard. And, you know, to the point where my dad, you know, he was in the police force, so he had a career. So not as, not as working class, perhaps as some careers, but he, you know, um, 
he would work shifts so I'd barely see him my mum my mum would be working at school at old people's homes been a carer and and working in the canteen at the airport when she could to get extra money and it was really that kind of situation but we never felt hungry or cold or we always felt safe and loved and never really had that why haven't I got what they've got because a lot of the people you know around us not a lot of the people but some of the people around us probably things that I remember people at school getting you know having more than one new pair of shoes in two years wow, like, wow. you know what that was like just like, oh and if they were slightly fashionable you go Ooh. yeah we never had anything like that and I was I was the youngest of three girls so I had all the hand-me-downs that were very very hand-me-down but um didn't care it was kind of that's the way it was in our house and some some of the other households of our mates and stuff and it was just the way it was but I think that sense of work hard be good to people and make sure you have time to have a laugh you've got a laugh and that that's something that I grew up with and that is invaluable you know you could grow up in the wealthiest household there is but if you're not laughing and you don't feel loved um then you know so what you know it's not it doesn't mean everything so I love my background I wouldn't change anything about it see that's amazing I mean it's funny I'm the youngest of seven children but because there's the, the first gap for me is 11 years so I never got the hand-me-downs because it was so out of date so I, I did get the new stuff but my mom and dad they weren't rich and you know it was a similar idea because you were just loved the family were there you had dinners it was all like my parents way to be kind and to make sure that you were loved was to feed you so literally I'm surprised I'm not like huge Scottish and Irish thing I'm sure same thing with our mothers it's like she's still doing it now my mum she's 80 she's 83 on Friday and she does it with my my children who are teenagers now but if you've got to have food in your mouth you all the time it's like if you're not eating it's like Jesus I mean, I was quite skinny growing up. I'm very fat now, but I was very skinny growing up. I don't know how I did that. All of us were, actually. <laughs> it was like, you know, and it was your home-cooked stuff. And, it, yeah, just, you know, we'd have, I don't know, lemon meringue pie on a Wednesday night. Like, what's, you know, what's all that about? I can't do that. I just try to, I just try to do that, you know, this Wednesday. And my family aren't getting that. <laughs> um, like, I might get to that. But, um, yeah, no, it was it was a wonderful upbringing. It was just interesting um, looking back because, I'd sort of look back at photographs and things. I don't know about you, but that's one thing I noticed. There aren't many photographs of us as kids because mum and dad, they had a camera. They couldn't afford to get film developed or buy the film. It was kind of like that. They were, so there weren't yeah. many photographs of us growing up, which I find quite interesting. You think now in our digital age and how many pictures we've got of our kids and our dogs and <laughs> getting on our phones and just think, wow, you know, there aren't that many. There's there's a lot of memories up here. I mean, they don't need to be in photographs, but um, yeah, that's I find that quite weird. It is quite weird. I, I'm actually obsessed, and you probably noticed on my social feed, I'm quite obsessed with taking pictures. I love to take loads, and I think it comes from that. So when my my brother died and he was 26, he was in a, a road crash, and I, you know, you, that way you mine the pictures, and I could have. I think I found about maybe three or four yeah. that I could ever get. I post the same ones all the time. So for me, I'm, I'm complete reverse. I'm like permanently taking pictures. And I guess, you know, when you were saying like, you, you know, you, you had a lovely upbringing and it was so nice. But I guess, you know, I, I guess it wasn't a bed of roses all the time. Like, I guess there was obviously, you know, trials and tribulations. But, you know, what would you say they were like for you growing up? I think, well, gosh, um, probably less of, my home I guess this sounds bad it sounds bad and I don't know if I felt it at the time but probably not seeing so much of my dad and when I did see more of him so when he left the police force 
and he got another job and he was around and it was fantastic and we had more of him. And I, and I think when he was working, he was often very tired and quite grumpy. So that part, that because he was working so hard, I mean, you think about it now, we didn't understand him. We just thought he was being grumpy and shouting, shouting a lot. Actually, he just got in after a 12 hour shift seeing God knows what he'd seen and just wanted to sit down and, and put the news on. So when he'd flick over top of the pops or whatever and get back and we, we'd go, what's going on? What are you doing? I kind of get it now, but I think um, that was quite hard, probably not seeing as much as much of them now looking back on it and thinking how much time we devote and how much we want to be of our kids and it's just and we can now especially after lockdown and everything the world's changed a bit we can be with our children a bit more so probably that I think um I don't think I honestly I, I make it sound like a bed of rose there must have been some things um you know I suppose when I was teenage probably not having when you are starting to think about you know the clothes you want to wear and uh all those things you want I didn't really have as much as everyone else but then I got jobs I just got little jobs little Saturday jobs and worked all sorts of places and just earned the money and went and spent it in the cheap cheap fashion shop which is called Kuma Brothers in summary it's amazing <laughs> um where you get like knockoff not knockoff they weren't knockoff they were um carefully copied designs of uh of high fashion but you could buy things like a pair of trousers for two quid and it was like oh my god then we go to the local disco on a Saturday night and then think you're the bees knees. so I kind of yeah I think I think probably the hard maybe the hardest bit was when when I so I went I didn't go to university so I went to school did sort of pretty average at most things good at English one thing I was I was that was my best subject English good at English and um that gave me some confidence obviously and, and I'm a writer by background uh and um PE probably above average art probably above average not brilliant but above average the rest of it pretty you know like I didn't get my maths I haven't got a maths GCSE or O level as a time I got grade two C CSE and I've run a business it was ridiculous really when you think about it um uh so didn't and then didn't what did my A levels didn't really work very hard scraped through a couple of my A levels and then went to Hounslow Borough College which was the um advertising college of its time so it was kind of before Watford um and there was there was I think Manchester had a course as well um as Hansa Borough College there was sort of the two courses to get onto the h and I managed I don't know how I did it got onto that course loved it um and then left college and then had about a year and a half I didn't have a job so that was quite hard so I was obviously I was at home I hadn't gone to uni so I'm, I'm like at home haven't got a job getting pretty depressed lying on a sofa thinking I need to get a job and then thinking should I hold out for this this job in advertising which had sort of been I'd done placements and things at Saatchi and Saatchi for example which it was in its heyday and I was like oh my god I want to be part of this world and sort of sucked into it and then it's like oh and then I haven't got a job and then and then I haven't got a job and it was really challenging on my confidence um but my mum who was amazing as I said didn't have much money she at the local paper shop did a subscription to sorry because I know it's drum nothing against a drum but uh I don't think they were down south at the time so I think we can get <laughs> uh, got a subscription to campaign magazine and and I got got it every week and she paid for that to so that I felt like I was still part of it mm -hmm. and that kind of kept me going and then um got my first job in a very funny uh little agency um and that was it that was it kind you know that was not it that was that was quite tough but it was um yeah, it's just my mum had that confidence that I'd always get that job, which I didn't, I don't think I had. And I was losing confidence at that point in time.
Yeah, so that was her way to invest in you. And I mean, she sounds amazing because I guess to have you for a year and a half not working, I mean, most parents would be like literally like this. So I'm you know, seriously untidy and that hasn't changed. I'm so untidy. So bless her heart. Yeah. <laughs> and did you think, so, so I mean, obviously that's when it started getting good because you kind of get in then. But do you think like when you were growing up, did you always believe you could? Or did you think, you know, a young kid, like you would work in a shop or a, like, what was your kind of level of, I guess, inspiration where you thought you would end up? So I'm, I'm kind of, it's it's interesting, actually. So my eldest sister, uh, academic, she went to Polytechnic, which was like university for us in those days. Like, oh my, first person in our all our families anywhere had ever been to anywhere, any sort of further education like that. So she, and she's really academic and has just done it. She's um, just been the mayor of Ipswich, by the way. It's amazing. So she's, she's wow. a whole other story. She's a whole other story. She's amazing. Um, yeah, so she was very academic. My, my middle sister is really, really bright, but sort of decided to go out to work rather than continue academic. And I, I think maybe because they'd broken, they'd broken through a few things at home where maybe I was a bit more liberated than them, maybe. Um, and then I think um, when I knew, I knew I was good at English and creative writing. So I had this a bit, I don't know, I had this sort of self-belief. I knew that I was excited to get my homework. I couldn't wait to write a story. I couldn't, I'd be waiting for the results and I might be disappointed. But I would re- and I really wanted that um, validation as well. That was quite an interesting thing. And then um, I wanted to be a journalist. That was my first um, thing that I wanted to do. And I, when I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13, my mum and dad got me for Christmas or Father Christmas might have, no, I wouldn't have believed him. I might have done. Uh, <laughs> uh, slow developer. Um, uh, bought me a sort of one of those portable tape recorders, which had a little microphone. And funny that we're doing this now, isn't it? That's really weird. That, that, that's <laughs> quite interesting. Quite ironic, but um, really funny. I used to go around interviewing people and think I was a little journalist, blah, blah. And then um, went and got um, in uh, summer holidays, I wrote to the local newspapers and um, one of the Middlesex Chronicles said I could come in the summer holidays. So I went and did that and did that a couple of times, which was amazing because I'd go around with this sort of young reporter and he'd take me to the courts and we'd be writing stories about people who'd lost their license through drink driving. Terrible, really, isn't it? But that's what we were doing. And I'd be like, I'm writing, I've got things. And I'd look at it in the local, oh my God, I've got things published. So that sort of started. I also really liked sort of drama and uh, I've never been shy. Well, I can be shy in certain circumstances, but um, I always like drama and doing stupid things. And I thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe I could do news reading. I thought I could combine the writing with being on telly because um, that's what I, you know, like most youngsters want to be famous. I wanted to be on telly. And then um, I, my careers officer, when I was uh, 17, talked to me about copywriting, which is writing ads. And um, I was like, well, I don't want to be a journalist. After all those years, I don't want to be a journalist. You know, I want to be, I want to write ads because I was kind of a bit obsessed with TV. I used to watch a lot of telly. And, um, but I knew that I could write and I just thought, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I went through a stage early on in my career where I hit um, a block, which was a person I worked for who made me feel like I was crap. And that was really difficult. And I went through a stage of thinking, I'm just going to, I'm going to, not just, I'm going to go and work in Tesco's. I can't be dealing with this shit. he's made me feel like I shouldn't I don't belong in in this industry it's quite interesting I think that's when those sort of more working class things yeah quite a lot actually and uh, still do at times um but they come to the surface I don't belong here I I don't deserve to be here 
and it's quite interesting and I had early in my career thank god early in my career so I nearly left and I didn't and then I just made my started making my own luck a bit and uh sorted myself out but it it didn't take much for that to unravel that bit of confidence that was inside yeah. especially when I think you know in the HR joined some brilliant people there um and not all of them you know they were working class people um who which is great about our advertising industry there is a real blend more so now than ever before but actually you still had those people who come from, who'd been to Oxford or Cambridge and all those you know and the red brick universities and they were like you felt a little bit inferior and it's you know they I don't know especially from a writing point of view expected to read certain books and be able to write in the style of blah blah and blah blah and it's like no I just want to sell I just want to sell stuff I can talk to people I just talk in their language make them feel something and do something and um so that was quite I found I I found that a challenge it unraveled quite I do think that's because of my background I think there's a for people who aren't from a working class background I've I work with some brilliant people and amazing, wonderful, lovely. Some of my best friends aren't from working class backgrounds. But I think if you've come from a background where there's some money and there's a safety net, um, whether that's a financial safety net or an educational safety net, you're you're much more likely to take risks, more likely to push yourself forward um, and have that inner confidence and, and just be more fuck you to other people who you think are trying to make you feel small. But I just think from a when you're when you're not I mean I'm the first person to have gone into a career that I'm in I'm I earn more money than anybody in my family's ever earned and I'm a bit embarrassed about all that actually it's it's and that's an I don't know if that's another working class thing I think it is yeah I mean I laugh about it I laugh about it and it's just like it's it's just a bit embarrassing and um yeah so I think the the challenge you, you know and I it's it crops up now and again I think god do I deserve to be here and I think you have to tell yourself of course you do otherwise you wouldn't be there you have to talk yourself out of it obviously but yeah that's constantly there I don't know if that ever goes away and I'm glad it doesn't because it reminds you that you you know yeah where you came from and why you're there you know it's funny I remember we like we bought a house a few years ago have been in this about nine or ten years and it's still in the working class area that I grew up in so I've never left for, for lots of personal reasons and different different reasons and oh, this house, I mean, it's, nice, it's a nice house, right? but but it's in, a, it's in a rough area, which I, I also love. That makes me tick in lots of ways. But I used to remember sitting outside in my car and I was too too embarrassed. I was not ashamed, I was embarrassed to go in because I never, ever wanted people to think I thought I was better than what yeah. they were. Or, so, so I understand that whole mentality of it makes you feel, a, I mean, it is what it is, but you do feel uncomfortable. But I bet your family root for you and think, oh, she done oh, yeah, it. They're, brilliant. they're so brilliant. And they're, you know, my mum's the person who I can say, oh, you know, I want to, you know, I won an award last night or something. I, I'll say it like that to my mum. She'll go, oh my God. And she'll, you know, and I might, I'll tell my husband, but I'm not like, I'm, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't do that thing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really funny, but things like the the spoils that come with success is um yeah it is it I do find it a bit embarrassing. So we we live in a really nice house in Guildford. So we are we haven't I haven't stayed where I was brought up at all, which was in a place called started off in a place called Cranford, which is near Heathrow Airport. So I grew up with literally the planes on top of the house, and probably loads of fumes. God knows. Um, no wonder I've got a little cough. And then um, <laughs> uh, I moved to Sunbury on Thames, which is, my dad went to the police station there which we went to Catholic schools, Catholic girl, um, Catholic nuns. Oh, that was interesting. Um, 
and then um yeah then on to Sixbourne College and then then but yeah but now yes yeah, so got the house in Guildford that's that's great um and then last in year before last bought another house now that that was well bought a house by the sea which was like oh my god I never thought I'd ever one I never thought I'd I'd live in a house that had more than two bedrooms in it and then you know we got and that uh, still embarrassing to me like I'm really excited about it I love it but it is still a bit like oh my that's that's like yeah I don't know it's it's weird no I don't think it is I think it just do you know what it is because I think because you're so grounded and actually you've never lost your roots so you never you know you you know whilst you never had a hard time growing up you still appreciated even the small things in life so when you get the big things it's not about because I bet your mum and dad taught you about don't show off and and you know be, be be kind to other people and respect your elders so you've probably got all these principles drilled into you that you've never forgotten and also you know you can go up fast you can come down just as fast if oh, not yeah. faster so it's about yeah. pre- appreciating that so do you think the kind of working class values that's maybe what's kind of made you who you are yeah, now I think, so. I think that whole um you know my mum and dad my mum from quite strict catholic background my dad had to convert to catholicism to marry her back in those days and um they got quite into the church but not in a i hate saying this sounds terrible not in a happy clappy sort of way but their community yeah really good friends came from the church so now that they're in there my dad's um 81 and my mum's going to turn 83 I said on Friday and they they have their friendships have endured so they've got all around them in within walking distance they've got friends and they they all look out for each other like and all of their friends look out for us we all we're all there to help each other and give a leg up and do whatever we can you know it, it's a really tight community and it's lovely and my like I say my mum and dad were really kind work hard really kind would always you know if if anybody rang them up that they knew and said we need help now they'd be there there's no doubt no matter what they do they drop yeah. it and even now I mean my mum's one of her good friends who's 85 is taking a little turn and was found it was in her house and found on the floor and had been there all night my mum was the person who's 83 on Friday who went round cleaned her up you know got her to bed fed her spoon fed her to bed. and it's that kind of they're, yeah. they're, they're selfless actually is the, probably the word um and they also the other bit which I think is really important is they've shown me that you there has to be joy as well that it isn't all about hard graft even though it's hard graft and yeah it's be joy and we had so much fun growing up and we played a lot of cards it was in those days because there wasn't much else to do we played but competitively we we're all quite competitive um and uh, mum and dad would have parties more or less every weekend there's a lot of lot of drinking in a positive way going on um, my <laughs> mum if there's now even now we, if we went to a party and music when my mum would be first on the dance floor like they're like they're just um and that's going back to that thing of actually there's a lot of things I do give a shit about it's easy to try and ravel my confidence but from a giving a shit about what people think of me I don't care really now I'm a bit like I've got to a point where I'm just enjoying myself and just being who I am. And if people don't like it, then there's nothing I can do about it because it's too hard work to try and be someone else. So exactly, yeah. just be you. You do you well. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. we all do it. We all do ourselves really well. We're just trying to be someone else. Why? Exactly. Gonna, we're never going to be that person. 
No, so, so just give up, exactly. And see, you know, it was really interesting the point you made. So, you know, obviously we won't name and shame, we won't even go there, but, you know, the person that made you feel not worthy or not, do you think they did that intentionally or do you think that was more you or more them or a bit both? It was a long time ago is what I'd say, firstly. So I think we're so more aware of our actions and what we say and, and the impact they can have on people. I'm not sure... So what he said, uh, there's uh, lots of things that happened, but one of the things he said to me was we were working on a uh, pitch and it was very early days in my first job and um, me and my partner nailed it. We got the idea, we'd done it and that's the best feeling. And we were so young and like first jobs and they were like, oh my God, you've nailed it, it's amazing. And then the pitch date was coming up, I stole. When's the pitch date? Am I going to be able to present the work? And he said, no, you're not coming because you're not cosmetically correct. Now, you think today those words are like, oh, my God, what? And I didn't ask what he meant because I was so like, what does that? And I thought it was about my background because I joined an agency that was and this the pitch was for a big investment bank, which you can imagine very corporate. The people I worked for were very much very posh. The the people leading the agency, the person who said this to me, and he was a really lovely man. But that's his. But there's something going on that I'd rather he said, you're just too inexperienced. You're not ready for it yet which is fine. And then I'll say, right, just tell me what do I need to learn over the next couple of years? What do I need to do? And whatever. But those words, and they sat with, they were crushing and they sat with me for a long, long time. And that makes me aware that, you know, and at that time there weren't, there weren't older women or women like me or girls like me that I could go and talk to and, and tell them about it or how I felt about it. You just kind of didn't either then. Um, so yeah, that was that was tough. And I and but I don't think he meant that if he I don't I think he'd be horrified if he thought he'd made me feel how he did. Yeah. But still, he still said it and he still thought it. So what was it? Was it? I don't know. I think I think it was because I didn't speak a certain way yeah. or, or dress a certain way or had the background. Oh my goodness! Jeez, no. what a classy no. dick. But never mind. We'll move on from him. <laughs> I can say whatever I like on podcast. There you go. We're fine. I've tamed it down, the Glaswegian in me. So, I mean, for you then, like sort of building up your confidence. So, you know, by, by the sounds of it, you know, it's been a nice childhood, which is, I'm so glad, you know, to hear that because working class people have good time too. So, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not always about the money and actually the money doesn't define in my head. It doesn't define success for me. Success is about am I actually am I happy and I know people are like oh my god is that it but but it is it's, am I happy am I fulfilled and, and it's those metrics that are more important money can help you with all these things but you have to be at the root in your core happy or it's I mean it's you know you hear about you know horrible stories of people that are yeah. rich and whatever else but when you were kind of growing up what do you think it was about you that gave you that inner confidence so you know to think do you know what I'm actually quite good at this at college and also you got you got the placements how did you get placements in Satchi for example well firstly I I think I had a probably a sense of which is the opposite to if you've come from a sort of wealthy um background but I had a um probably a what the fuck have I got to lose attitude because there's not nothing to lose right you're not it's not going to get that you know it can only get better I did a few things where I'd, I'd um, I can't remember if it was Sarch's or not. I don't think it was Sarch's. Well, I think I got that one through college. But um, sorry, my husband's just trying to come in. I'm just going to turn to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. It's live. We're all good. <laughs> That's terrible. So I go away. Um, 
we are happily married, honestly. Um, so the first one I think came through college, but the other places I got literally would do things like, and this is bad. So I'd ring up because you'd have you'd have the gatekeepers who are the um, PAs. Yeah. And they wouldn't let anybody get through to the creative directors or anything to go and show your portfolio. That's how you got a place and you showed your portfolio. They sent you off to do some more work and then eventually they'd give you a month or three months. And uh, just ring up and go. And it was at that time, there weren't many female creatives. So I'd ring up and then you get the stroppy PA on the phone saying, oh, sorry, he's really busy at the moment. Can I ask what it's about? And I go, it's really personal, actually. Oh, can I ask her? And I said, no, I'm not going to give you my name, but it's really personal. And then they'd always put you through. It's brilliant. And that's how, <laughs> that's how it do it. Because they were like, gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. They probably thought it was a bit of gossip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I've always had, I'm, I, I'm not... I'm a scaredy cat about lots of things. Like I'm claustrophobic. I, I don't like flying. Uh, yeah, any spiders. I'm quite scared, but I'm not. I'm not scared of making a tit of myself. And I think that's helped me. I think I stand to my mum being the first person up on the dance floor or whatever, yeah. just, just, and having not having anything to lose. It's like, yeah, just got to go for it. And I, I also did actually when I was in my. I would have been. How old would I have been? mid 30s so about 20 years ago I um did a stand-up comedy course so I was going to do I had a sabbatical booked and it was to do um writing comedy for radio which I was really excited about it was at Central St Martins and um about a week before my my month sabbatical started and the course meant to start, start a week before they said we cancelled the course because not enough people have signed up so, oh. and the only other course which had a place on it was stand-up comedy and I said, oh, and I worked with this guy at the time who'd done a bit of stuff. He said, oh, just do it. Go on, just do it. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, and I did it. And it's the best thing I've ever done. So did the course. You do the course over six weeks. And you do a little show for your friends and family. And everybody's a little show. And then I did probably about, I don't know, 10 or 12 gigs in Soho afterwards. I realized that um, as much as I got to a point where I'd say half of them went really badly. A couple of them went okay and a couple of them went really well, but I got to a point where I, I was enjoying it so much that I, I didn't care if people laughed or not and that I was getting a buzz just at performing, yeah, writing a story, being able to react to people who were shouting obscenities at me. And it really gave me loads of great skills for work, actually. And then I came back to the... I was working at, at MC at the time for Leader. And Mel Edwards uh, was um, the CEO at the time. And I said to Mel, I think we should do this as a training course so the guy who was the lecturer name's Chris Head we got him, him in to come in and we did um, like 10 or 12 people at a time he'd do the course and they'd do a show to the agency which is amazing because most of the material was about being at work and we <laughs> did that. I mean, loads of people went to the course and I took it to um, MRM as well when I was there and we did it there and then um, yeah and then it became a bit of mm, we can't we were told we probably can't do that anymore because the jokes are about everybody at work if somebody's offended it's going to get litigious and it all got a bit like that so, oh for god's sake because oh, the things that were were outrageous but yeah but that was brilliant and that gave me an extra bounce of confidence yeah um, that sounds yeah. cool i think i would do that course myself actually i think i would really enjoy that chris head uh, i don't know if he's still central st mines but if you look him up just put comedy course chris head um, right. i would take a note the um i mean i guess what you're saying as well is about putting yourself out your comfort zone and trying to be comfortable with you 
So, you know, I, you know, I find this now and it's easy to say it when you're there, right? Of course it is because you've done it and you don't have that fear. But I guess you kind of worry, don't you, what people will think. But when you start taking that way, as long as you put on a good footing and that you come across well, then, then I think that goes a long way. But you should never at the root change you. I totally agree. And I think where I'm a really, I think it's looking at the, the characteristics that you might think are negative about yourself. So I'm really uh, impatient. It's my, it's my worst thing right really impatient but it's also really helped me in my career and especially when I had kids where it's like I haven't got time I haven't got time for this we just need to move on which had really helped me develop my style as a when I became a creative director um but also I got I was I remember being in some meetings and just thinking we're all having this conversation and I'm not really speaking up and I know the answer to what's being asked but I'm not going to say it just in just in case people judge me and then Five minutes later, someone else would say it, and I'd be really gutted because I'm so competitive. And maybe say, just say it, just get it out there, just say yeah. it. Put your hands up, be the one to put your hand up. The other thing that I found really helped me, and um, somebody I used to work with, and we used to um, help each other out. So she was brilliant, and she really, really um, was my friend, and she she believed in me, and we believed in each other, and we said we're going to big each other up all the time and we did it so it was like only when it was only when not all the time yeah no I get it it wasn't quite like that but it was a bit like if something had happened like oh yeah there was that good idea and I'd say oh um Victoria did that do you remember it was her who said it because we're really bad I think particularly women at putting our hands up going I said that uh that's me I did that good job we're really really I I I know at that point in time certainly I don't know if it's it's changed I still think there's a bit of that um that we could learn a little bit but um, and we really did that and we'd PR each other a bit and um, back each other up. And it was really good. So, you know, if if anybody's listening who's younger and you've got a mate at work, but you, you really genuinely believe they're brilliant and they believe the same in you, you do it. Try it. See what happens. It's only positive. That's a really brilliant idea. I wish I had done that all the years ago. But yeah, no, you're right. It's just, it's almost like little tricks as well, isn't it? It's, you know, I always remember the first time I ever learned this was that I used to work for News UK, the time News International. And we had a woman in, she was a trainer at first and then she came in full time and I was on the ad sales team, very commercial um, role. And she always taught us to write the way you would speak. So let me know what you think about that. Or... And that's dead obvious. That's so obvious now. Yeah. But years ago, it'd be like, hello, and and dear sir, you know, and it was all very proper. And just like, I guess, in your world, you have to speak the way you, or write the way you would speak for it to sort of sink in. It's like reading a book. You've obviously got those guidelines. So take, um, you know, some of the big brands I've worked with, they have their own tone of voice. It's about, there's that, it's about, um, there's two sides. One is making sure that everything you write sounds like it's coming from the same person whether I'm writing it or someone in China's writing it or wherever, um, and whether that's something you're reading on the website or a script for a radio ad or whatever it happens, it has to sound like it's coming from the same place. And that's the brown tone of voice. But the bit, which is what I think I learned from people like Dave Trott, is communicate in a way that's natural. That that So you can I can still be Nikki, but it's what I'm saying to you, and ha- if, rather than the tone of what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Yes. So just just naturally do it. Because if you are too formal, it's cold, it's impersonal, you're not connecting with people. And what we do as a job as writers is to connect with people, to get them to want our product or our service or for us to help them with something and, and to tune in and be emotive and 
yeah and and connect and you can't do that if you're putting a barrier so you do put a lot of yourself into it but often you have to well all the time you have to have we have to make sure it sounds yeah. like the brand so you know if I'm writing for BMW it has to sound like it's yeah coming. absolutely and I guess it works on a kind of personal level as well because you know you're talking from a business perspective but I'm also thinking like if you're say someone coming through in the industry or you're 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 pitching for business or you're you know it's always about having your so so you've kind of got your brand head on but 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 I guess the same principles apply for you as a person so don't exactly don't deviate from who you are to please anybody else back to what we're saying about it's really hard to try and be someone else you're not going to be them you're going to be the best version of you because no one else can be you either and just and and like you say just being personable and being fun and not taking things yourself too seriously and connecting on a on a human level with people whether they're the you know global ceo of blah blah or the person at the checkout it's the same person we're all people and just have a human yeah absolutely but there was one thing that dave trot said and it really sort of hit home for me and and that was that for for the types of people that work in certain accounts, say Aldi or very working class brands, he was saying that it's really important that people who understand the people are working in those accounts. So that's why he thinks that a lot of working class people have that edge because they get it. And it doesn't mean that other people don't. And he wasn't singling people out, but you know, you stand a really good chance of doing a good job if you understand. And it's not just through research, you've kind of lived it like the people you're totally reacting to. I think there's in our in the creative side of our industry, you have to be able to write and communicate with anybody. But the mass populace are working class people, and um, I think any 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 audience you're talking to, you're going to be able to get to the nuance if you've got the lived experience. And that's the difference between doing a great piece of work and a brilliant piece of work that really connects and understanding those things and watching the crap tv programs and and that you know my husband might say although he's very working class he might say oh you know watching that rubbish film just like because it's good and everybody else thinks it's good like you know (laughs) fox who doesn't love watch i mean you can't be snobby about this stuff you 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 know it's it's real life and as much as you know as i said that that thing where i you know where you think oh my goodness i'm surrounded by people who go to art galleries every weekend and it's like Equally, it's important for those people to watch a bit of EastEnders now and again. Or, yeah. You know, or pointless. Absolutely. I know one thing that you pointed out earlier, and it's just so funny because it's so topical right now. And you were talking about when you were at school, maths was your, no, you, did, you weren't good at maths, but you were good at English. English was your thing. But when you think of um, the, the whole thing at the moment about the government saying that people should be studying maths at school until is it 18 or something ridiculous. I mean, what, what do you think? Well, it's interesting because I've got I've got two sons and um, one uh, really academic, the younger one, the older one, not not really bright, but just not not school wasn't for him. Yeah, and he just um, s- sort of got himself to now. He's just started the older ones, just having not having just walk, had walked away with two GCSEs, which he only just got in um, in uh, German and photography. Uh, has now gone to study film at Manchester in at uni and he's done he's got himself to that but he was not a classroom kid he was not maths the younger one is all over maths the kids who like maths they're yeah. gonna be fine and give them some more maths if they want maths but I think we we haven't looked at our education system for decades and decades and decades and decades it is the same I think COVID threw some of that up in the air um, but I think for those kids who are creative uh, and not academic but creative we need to think again 
because we're missing talent people are getting you know people are dropping out they're they're not finding careers not everybody wants a career but for those who do want to they're not going to find their career because they're given up on because they can't do bloody geometry who wants to do geometry look i'm sitting here i've got a bloody calculator as well there i mean exactly we've got tools it's a madness. I know there's that new AI system out now that can even write oh, essays God. for you. GPT or GBH, as I'm calling it. Yeah. That, so it's a bit like, oh, that's a bit scary. Then I thought, we've been talking about this a little bit, just thinking, but that bot, that AI is based on what already exists, which is biased anyway. So it's like, really? It hasn't got that filter, that human filter. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it'd be really useful for some things and get a load of... yeah the way to let our human creative brains grow but um we shall see it's slightly terrifying it definitely well they, they can come i can come up with the fancy words now you can dress it and make it yours yeah. <laughs> so for you then mickey like what what do you think like what's the sort of biggest piece of advice you would give people i mean you've obviously given tactics right so the tactics of of bigging each other up if you've got a companion or you know maybe trying to get through the gatekeeper in a creative way potentially might be harder these days but you know what other kind of piece of advice do you think you might have for people that think do you know what i'm i'm from a poor background i don't have a lot of prospects i mean how, how could someone like I, me I think, like that you know just what we were just saying really is if you're from a, a poor background and you don't think you've got much going for you then you're the, the you're the most liberating person on earth you have got so much opportunity because it can only get better it's literally it can only get better right so if you think if you come from a privileged background you've been to bloody some big posh private school you've gone to, to oxford or whatever the pressure on you to succeed is huge there's no pressure on you so enjoy it spend time finding what you're good at you know, try different things. Yeah. No, as long as you're earning some money, do different things, work hard. Um, and, you know, don't posit- don't focus on the positives, don't focus on the negatives and, um, and just listen to the people who give a shit about you. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Listen to the people. There was one, there's an interview that um, people might have seen by the time yours comes out, but Frank Carter from the Rattlesnakes punk band, and his is really interesting as well because he talks about you hang about with your kind of people. And I really loved something about that. You know, it was just, it just rang true to me as a person. So, yeah, I think it's just about being your, you know, I know it's overused, authentic self. And just, as you say, when you get older, you don't, you don't really care, do you? Yeah, because you've been, you've, you've got that experience, but it's so hard, like you say, somebody yeah. who's younger saying that, I think, oh, for God's sake, what are you talking about? But it's like, listen to the people you care about and who care about you and um but do go with your gut I think gut instinct's the other thing make decisions yeah. go with your instinct you're going to be wrong 20% of the time but 80% of the time you're going to be right and you're and even when you're wrong you're going to learn so much from it so and you've got like we said if you come from a, a less privileged background you've got less to lose the more privileged you are the more pressure you've got so actually it's not a benefit yeah no, that's a really good way to look at it. Well, do you know what? This has been an absolute breath of fresh air. I mean, you've always been amazing anyway. I do have one thing that I wanted to ask you, more personal for me. I'm like, how can I be like Nikki? Like, so see when you walk in a room and you, you do have a bit of presence about you, um, as I said at the beginning, and it's not arrogant, maybe you don't realise it, but you do have a presence. Why do you think that is? I think, I don't know. I I don't I don't see that at all. So that's really interesting. Just And, and again, it makes me slightly... Hmm. Uh, about it I, I just I'm I'm always really happy to be places and to be asked to go places so for example where I've probably seen you is at awards and judging stuff I feel and maybe that's back to the working class I feel so 
glad to be there and being asked to do stuff and it's a privilege to be asked to judge people's work and, and yeah such a positive thing to do so most it's because I'm pleased to be here and there or wherever I've been asked to be so I think that's probably it. I'm a pretty optimistic happy person I get pissed off sometimes which is never a great thing to say because when it when it happens <laughs> believe me it happens um but um no I'm just I think I'm just pretty I feel quite I do feel privileged to be doing the job I'm doing and still enjoying yeah. be around you know all the people I've not all the people I'd say 99% of the people I've worked with are incredible and interesting and different and you're learning something and it's fun you know our industry is fun um and I'm lucky I kind of stumbled into it as I say I say stumbled into it, my careers officer told me about it, which is weird no one else has had a careers officer tell me something you know that pointed them in the direction of career but I think I, I do I, my husband tells me off for using the lucky word he says you're not lucky you work bloody hard but I do feel lucky I mean doing this and sitting here talking to you it's just you know it's it, it's lovely well, it's lovely. I wish you had a big glass of wine, mind you, but that would, oh, that would yeah. make it even great. <laughs> we'll do and that soon. We, we'll definitely need to do that soon. And, and I guess I sort of lied because I do have another question for you. So you've, um, yeah, well, I think part of it's because you, you're comfortable in your own skin, right? It's because, you, you know, you, you are who you are. But although you're very sure of yourself and who you are as a person and you're, you kind of don't care what people think, do you still ever get that little gremlin of imposter syndrome oh, now? Oh, no. I might say that I don't care, but I do, there's always the imposter thing. I say it all the time. And it, and I have to, I sometimes even go like that, messing around, make myself laugh. Just get off. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. what was it I was doing? I mean, I did a little bit when you asked me to do this as well. I was like, oh God, really? You know, she's, she's really? Jim Kerr and she's to be ranking. It's like, the long me. So I definitely felt, felt it there. Um, but yeah, even things like, just anywhere where I'm with my peers as well. So if I'm, if I'm, like a creative council, which we might do at work, it's all the creative leaders. I get definite imposter syndrome at things like that. It's quite, yeah, it's definitely there. I might hide it quite well. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I think so. Well, do you know what, Nikki? I think if you get it, everyone knows that there's hope in their life because you're you're amazing at what you do, and you're all the time. And you're just an amazing person. So, I mean, I know that it takes a lot to talk about your backgrounds and your life and, and you kind of put yourself out there. So the fact you've done that shows me that you care actually about people out there oh. that just need that little that little hug, virtual hug. Yeah, um, to do yeah it's theirs. a virtual hug for everybody. And I am a big hugger, by the way. In the real world. COVID is very hard for me in that sense because I'm like all the time. I think it's just... Too. And actually, you might think if people are having a hard time at work, you might think that, that nobody cares. But you, there will be somebody who does give a shit. So do if you're struggling at work, do talk to somebody. Like I didn't have that opportunity when that guy was so awful to me. But there are people, you know, there are people there who you can go talk to. Just talk to someone you trust and just sound it out. Absolutely. Well, hopefully I'm going to see you soon. I'll give you a big hug. Yeah, but until then, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for asking me. It's been lovely. Thank you.